hello and welcome to episode 35 of the Eyes Free Sports podcast. Once again, this is Greg Lindbergh here, your host. On this episode, we are traveling to New York City to chat with a young lady there who's a very accomplished long-distance runner, marathoner, and triathlete. And uh, she also has a guide dog from the Running Guides program at Guiding Eyes for the Blind. So we delved into a lot about just that relationship with that dog and how that guide dog actually helps her run and achieve her athletic goals. So, ready, set, listen. Okay, so my guest on this episode of Eyes Free Sports is Abigail Shaw. And Abigail is a very accomplished uh, long-distance runner and uh, triathlete and uh, very uh, interesting career that she's involved in and, and quite an interesting background. Abigail, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat today. Absolutely. I know we got a lot of cool stuff to talk about, uh, so we'll go ahead and dive right in here. Sounds good. Okay, so talk to me about uh, where you were born, Abigail, in your early years. Yeah, I grew up in eastern North Carolina in a um, suburban town called Wilmington, and I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa RP at age four, so kind of on the the younger side compared to the textbook scenarios. Um, Up until that point, my parents just assumed all of my behaviors could be chalked up to being one of the weird middle children. Um, but it certainly <laughs> made a lot more sense after meeting with the pediatric ophthalmologist. And um, my I have three siblings, so there are four of us. And uh, my mom's background is actually in deaf education. So although not having any or not much awareness of uh, blind, low vision kinds of, you know, adaptations and accommodations, she certainly had a background in kind of advocacy and sensory disability. So that was, that definitely influenced my upbringing in terms of um, having a lot of, you know, pretty high expectations for me, like equal to my, my siblings. And I really am grateful for that kind of upbringing and, and the opportunities that afforded me and not being able to get out of something just because I was different from, from my peers. I was homeschooled from uh, pretty much through from from K to 12, I was homeschooled. And in high school, I was able to participate in a dual enrollment program at my local community college. So it counted for high school credit and college credit. And I really enjoyed getting to be homeschooled. It gave me a lot of opportunities that my peers in traditional um, public schools, you know, didn't have like I, I got to intern at a radio station in high school and um, oh, cool. I was super active, um, not so much in sports growing up. I, I mean, I I was into like yoga and swimming growing up by the beach. Um, you know, my parents had me in the water at a pretty young age. Um, so not and I didn't I did some t-ball and um, so I was involved with some organized sports, but that never really it didn't really like it. That's not kind of. Um, I didn't gravitate towards it, I guess, at that that younger age. And uh, I went off to Appalachian State, which is in the western part of North Carolina on the Tennessee-North Carolina border in the mountains. And I studied music and audio production. Um, Music has been, that has certainly been a 
a constant throughout my life. And um, I was really interested in the behind the scenes part of how music and the albums I enjoy were put together. I never loved performing, but I loved um, just making music and the creative process. Um, and I, I did a lot of hiking and because it was in, in the Appalachian mountains, um, did a decent amount of, of rock climbing and I've actually hiked part of the Appalachian trail, not a through hike, but, um, one spring break, I got to do that with, um, my former guide dog. So yeah, that's kind of my earlier years and, and moving into college. Gotcha. Very cool. And uh, out of curiosity, were you homeschooled because of your visual impairment? Was that a factor in that decision? Or Yeah, my mom um, had homeschooled all of my siblings for some period of time, but she really just considered the needs of, of for each of us. Um, and I had some interest in going to public school in high school um, because I was kind of like curious of just like what that experience would be like. Um, but when we looked at the accommodations I needed and how um, I did get some services, I had an IEP through the public school system and I got like, that's how my orientation and mobility instruction came through that. Um, standardized my standardized yearly tests I got my accommodations through the the IEP and did, did testing at the, the public uh, through the public school system but yeah it, it was kind of a mix uh, initially no it was because um you know I, I mean I was I was four so in, in preschool but yeah it was just kind of a mixture of like my parents own like belief system and education but also for me it 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 did turn out that homeschooling was the best uh, in terms of like what accommodations I needed and where it was, where they would have been lacking if I was mainstreamed. Right. I see. Got you. And then talk to me a little more about your, your college experience and just how the accommodations were and just, you know, kind of the social life being a visually impaired student. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned I had done some community college, um, before I transferred to a four-year school, and that was a really great environment for me to learn, just start cultivating my advocacy skills, because it was a pretty small um, community college. It was based in the downtown historic district of my um, hometown, and that was also, I really loved that. It gave me a lot of independence, um, like I could walk to the radio station where I worked and, you know, be in the coffee shop art you know kind of scene um (laughs) and then um transferring was was a big uh leap because it was to a school six hours away uh from my family and I didn't know anyone there but I as we'll probably talk more about just through my uh athletic and, and like professional endeavors I'm a pretty I do like I'm a very go big or go home kind of, um, person. So, um, (laughs) yeah, the, the school I transferred to Appalachian States, um, then it was like student population was probably, um, 17,000. So it was a medium to larger size school. Um, and I had been matched with my first guide dog four months prior. And that was 
I'm, I'm glad I did that because I think that not that I, I was already a pretty brave and courageous person before, but I, I, I do, I have definitely benefited from how the relationship of a guide dog can unearth those kinds of um, pieces of, of, of ourselves. So yeah, I'm really logistically, but, but also just in terms of confidence, um, having my guide dog was a big help again, being in the mountains, there are lots of staircases all over campus. And, um, and so being able to rely on my guide dog to target those things made orientation and just like getting around a lot easier. And, uh, yeah, I, I pretty quickly adapted and blended into student life there. Um, I was involved in some student ensembles, music ensembles, both for my degree requirements, but also um, out of, because again, it was something I enjoyed doing. Um, I also dabbled in student student radio there. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mentioned I, I um, went I did several both weekend and like week long trips with the outdoor programs um, department doing backpacking and hiking. Um, I got to do a study abroad my um, sophomore year to Ireland and studying traditional Irish music. So that was, that was a really great opportunity. Um, So yeah, I, I made, I made the most, I think of my college undergraduate years and um, I've always just, you know, tried to seek out the people finding friends through the hobbies and things I enjoy doing, like seeking out people through those kinds of communities and outlets. Nice. I see. Very cool. And then just to kind of wrap up uh, as far as your education, so you are working on a master's degree now, right? Yeah. So I I studied music and audio in my undergrad, and now I've completely shifted gears and I'm studying um, social work now at Fordham University. After graduation, I moved from uh, from North Carolina to New York City. So again, another pretty big um, <laughs> transition. <laughs> and yep. um, uh, yeah, I, I I didn't quite answer your former question about like accommodations in school um, for oh, my yeah. my music program. Um, I mean, most classroom lecture kinds of things I had put together my toolkit of what I needed for, you know, note taking or use of my own technology in class to take my own notes and getting alternative formats for slides and textbooks and the like. But for my music classes, it was, that was more of a challenge. My RP, I really was able to notice the biggest changes in my vision um, shortly after I transferred. So that was, that was definitely a challenge in terms of growing into being an adult and, you know, this time of life when you're finding out like who you are and living on your own. Um, and then also like figuring out what, um, accommodations or adaptations might've worked when I was in high school, not being like large print, for example, I no longer could do my college level reading with just a CCTV or, large print um so that was um that was certainly challenging and then studying audio production and learning what software was compatible with a screen reader so pro tools is 
the industry standard of a of how um, the software for recording audio and at the time this was 2009 2010 it was things were changing and the and apple had introduced voiceover but things were still not uh foolproof so um right i did have to do some kind of convincing and proving myself to my professor my professors because the music industry program I was in was very competitive and um I was after the first kind of um freshman level course that that taught audio basics my professor had quickly um you know witnessed that I wasn't just that I was really dedicated and um I think it was unfortunate that it had to be a case of like proving myself because I don't think accommodations and accessibility should you know, we should, as people with disabilities, we shouldn't have to prove that. But um, in the long run, I think it was a really great lesson for me. And it was certainly an opportunity where the music department was kind of, um, you know, that they, they had, they were witnessing where the lack, the holes in, in um, structural kind of accessibility was or was not and how um, right. they could do better. So. Got you. Very interesting. And then just going back to your guide dogs, uh, so I understand you've had guide dogs from Guiding Eyes for the Blind, right? Yeah, so I'm working my um, second guide dog now, Kit. She's a yellow lab. Um, she's very, uh, she, I call her like platinum blonde because she, she's she is a yellow <laughs> lab, but she's very like almost starkly white. Um, about oh, wow. 60 pounds and uh, my first guide dog Alexa was a black lab and she worked with me from um, 2010 to 2016 um, and retired in early 2016 so Kit and I were um, matched in March of 2016 so it's been almost um five years now and kit is part of the uh, running guides program that guiding eyes um, offers and you know first and foremost their guide dogs training and um, intention is for is for everyday guide work but um, several years ago the president thomas panic had several conversations with other guide dog users and he himself is blind and uses a guide dog. Um, and they were just talking about, you know, there are lots of runners that are partnered with guide dogs and they would, you know, run with their dogs and kind of keep it on the down low from, from the schools. Um, Cause most of them didn't, didn't, they didn't, uh, I don't know that, that a lot of schools, completely you know were forbidding people to run with their dogs but it, it wasn't something that was encouraged um necessarily right so um yeah since that program launched um they've they've considered uh, started evaluating like with each dog do they have the interest and in guiding while running and um and seeing you know what if 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 that's something to, to invest in with each dog. I did home training with Kit. So it was all, all of our training was based around 
my neighborhood and the places I frequent here in New York City. And I chose to put any of our running on kind of the back burner because it was important to me, both because she was a successor dog and that's, um, you know, bonding, the bond is important anytime. But for me, I was, I was also kind of, um, grieving the retirement of my, my last dog. And so for me, I really wanted to focus on our, our bonding and, uh, ensuring that her guide work was, was on point, especially because again, I live in New York and I could walk the same route every day at the same time and encounter completely different things. Um, (laughs) so, um, yeah, 2017, a year after was really when I, I called the school back and they're located in Yorktown Heights, which is just, it's like an hour North of, of the city. Um, and uh, I reached back out to them and and said, hey, I, I think I'd like to tap into, you know, the running guide thing now and see what, you know, if Kit's up for it still. Um, and the school has also partnered with Roughwear, which is a, um, a company that makes outdoor gear for dogs, not necessarily service dogs but like lots of Hmm. um toys and and they cater to people that are you know in the outdoors with their dogs so roughwear and guiding eyes developed um it's called the unifly harness and um it's now available to any graduate that's interested um but it was initially designed for this active uh purpose you know running and hiking and and doing stuff with with your dogs so it's all synthetic material and uh the harness kind of fits oh it it fits the dog a lot like most leather harnesses do in terms of going over their head and then there's straps under the belly and they clip on right behind the shoulders or just under like the armpit of the dog and then the um harness handle is uh removable and it is very similar to the same kind of technology that's used for trekking poles. So there's a clip where you can extend it and the, um, the actual handle is um, you can rotate it 360 degrees. So it's more ergonomic. And so, as you can imagine, lots of people have also preferred using that even if they're not runners or they're not, you know, hiking, it's, it's just more ergonomic and a lot of people like it. So Um, yeah, I got that harness and, um, some of the training staff came out to work with me. I live just a couple blocks from Prospect Park, which is Brooklyn's version of Central Park. It was designed by the same architect, um, Hmm. back in the, uh, late, uh, 19th century. Um, and it has a running loop that's about 3.4 miles and, um, so they came out and, um, it, I mean, it didn't really involve too much training for the human or dog. It was just kind of like a new way of working together. Um, and so we will frequently run together. I haven't done any races with Kit, um, mainly cause I feel like it's a lot to ask of her f- and based on the, uh, in pre pandemic times, the, the road races here in New York are just super populated and the density of, of athletes is, is pretty, um, 
what's dense. So, um, so I haven't done any races with her, but I do enjoy running. Um, and, uh, I have hiked with her a decent amount in some of the, um, some of the trails in the Hudson Valley just north of here. So yeah. Very cool. That's so fascinating. I just, I know I've had some other guests on that have had dogs from the running guides program as well. And I think that's such a cool initiative and, you know, would definitely love to see other guide dog schools, uh, jump on board. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's a great way to, to also like maintain that bond and, and just provide more autonomy for, for blind folks so exactly and i'm curious with kit uh you know do you have to tell her certain things like before you're going to run so that she kind of prepares herself or how do you kind of how does that relationship work yeah i think a lot of it is um just like how guide dogs or any working dog knows that they're working because of a harness or um at least with like mobility dogs and guide dogs, that's usually the case, a harness of some kind that kind of they have been wearing throughout their training. And for kids, it's really just that putting on the harness. Um, and when either of them come out, whether I'm using her, I still, I kind of rotate them, um, the harness I choose to use and depending on like what our activity is that day. Um, but regardless, whenever either of them comes out, she's, she gets excited and, clearly associates them with you know what what she loves to do so there's not really any like um any commander or way i have to prep other than just pulling it out and um and she recognizes them for what they are so i see very cool and then i'm curious when you do run with her is she kind of you know as far as her position compared to just guiding you in a traditional sense how does that differ yeah um and i do often still run with a human guide in addition to kit again new york is such a beast of its own in that uh (laughs) there's just so many variables and i feel for our for our safety and my comfort i feel better still running with another another human guide but um so they i'll still run with them but they um my human guide might just give me some cues just verbal cues about what we're approaching. So I have, I can anticipate what Kit may do to move us around an obstacle or people. She does just because of the um, part of, you know, training that goes into guide work. um, She will often shoreline uh, the the far left curb of the running path. Um, And I think for her, that's, that just gives her like control and, um, helps her feel comfortable and, and, and safe guiding the two of us. Um, but otherwise, uh, it just feels like normal, our normal kind of working together at a, a bit of a, you know, faster clip. Um, and, uh, yeah, she, she definitely enjoys it and hiking too. She just becomes like this little mountain goat. I mean, she loves, (laughs) loves getting to be outdoors and, any new kind of um, route, she's it, it, she likes the challenge. So, yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Let's get into some of the events you've competed in and maybe even back up a little bit if you just kind of want to talk about like your inspiration for getting into running specifically and 
and, uh, you know, marathons, triathlons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mentioned that in college, I did a, a decent amount of hiking, backpacking, um, yoga and Pilates, swimming, those kinds of endurance types of sports have always been attractive to me. Um, I usually joke as people like if the sport involves the ball, I'm probably not going to be interested. Um, <laughs> but that actually is no longer true because I played blind soccer with some friends at the end oh, of cool. last year. So um, I might not be able to use that tagline anymore. Um, right. Yeah, I, I in 2012, I did an internship. I was still an undergrad and I did an internship in New York to kind of test out and see if I liked it well enough to move here. My degree required that we do an internship our last semester. And um, so I knew I was going to want to go to a, a larger city, um, mainly for like transportation, but also f- in terms of music and audio, all the, you know, the, the places, it's usually LA, New York, San Francisco, big, big cities. Um and yep. so I was living in New York. I was an unpaid intern and I really missed the hiking and um, and yoga and stuff like that. And so I was trying to find a way that I could get some exercise. Um, you know, you can't in the conventional sense go hiking in <laughs> Manhattan. Um, right. So I had met a woman who was a friend of a friend for coffee and she was telling me how she and she's blind and she was telling me how she was getting ready to do the New York City triathlon um and you know I already told you in my upbringing like my parents never really held me back from the things I wanted to pursue and would would always you know be creative with me to figure out how we could adapt things that needed it but I was really shocked I'd never met someone who was blind and was doing something like triathlon. So um, I asked her more about it and she told me how she was doing it with a a human guide and that she um, had got into it through a group called Achilles International. Um, They started in the late seventies and their whole mission is to promote mainstream athletics for people regardless regardless of ability. And they do that mainly through running Um, so she told me that they, um, had workouts twice a week in Central Park and you could just show up and both able-bodied and disabled athletes pair up to do loops of Central Park, um, on Tuesday evenings and Saturday mornings, rain, sunshine, sleet, snow, (laughs) regardless of the weather, um, (laughs) And they, they pair up just based on, you know, distant, like how far they're planning to go and what their pace is. So one Saturday morning, I took the train from, from Brooklyn all the way up to Central Park um, at Engineers Gate and on the Upper East Side. And um, I did four miles that day. I I will say I had tried running a couple of times before this with um, my sister at a, around a loop down near one of the the beaches in my local town and um I hated it I didn't like running I think a lot of it too was like oh at the time trying to figure out like how how to how to make it work I think I think we had used a tether my sister and I but um yeah for me it was I I was drawn to it 
both um, because it was this new kind of challenge for me of like, oh, how can I like, how can I do this thing that most people think is impossible? Um, <laughs> but also the the community, Achilles is, um, is they have chapters all over the, the world now, but it started here in New York City and just the camaraderie and the uh, running being like an equalizer for people was really um, really cool to me and very attractive. And so I continued to participate in workouts that whole summer. Um, I went back to North Carolina to, to finish school and I signed up for um, the New York City Half Marathon, which happens in March. And that was a way to, to stay like, main, you know, set a goal for myself and not just fall out of this new um, hobby I had taken up. And I did, I kept running. I had a counselor through the disability services office at my college. She was also a runner. And so when I came back to school that fall, she was really psyched to learn that I'd taken up running and um, she nice. was yeah. willing to figure out like how to guide. So um, yeah, that's how I got into it. Um, and that was my, the New York city half in 2013 was actually my first ever race. So, um, <laughs> there was no like 5k and then 10k, you know, I just went straight just for the half marathon. Diving right, yeah, um, diving right in. Yeah. So I'd say the half marathon at this point I've done, um, I've done four full marathons. I have lost count of the number of triathlons I've done. Um, <laughs> And I've lost count of the, the half marathons, but I like that distance a lot. The half marathon, I think it's a, it's a, it's very manageable to train for, unlike with the marathon where you're spending, you know, almost your whole weekend doing long runs. And um, I also, I mean, I enjoy triathlons too, but it's, um, it's been since I started grad school in 2019. It's, uh, I just don't have the time to like work full time and be in school and train for for something that involved anymore but hopefully one day i'll get back to back at it exactly very cool and what would you say you enjoy most about you know these these events and, and just kind of running in general hmm yeah i um the thing about running for me is that it's always um i really can't think of any any time where I went out on a run and I regretted it, um, it's always worthwhile, regardless of how I do. Even if I have to walk some, or you know, if I don't, I don't complete as many miles as maybe I wanted to, or even if I'm just going out with a friend, um, it's always rewarding, and I'm glad I did it. And I've seen, especially for racing, the process of setting those goals and working towards it. Um, is really gratifying and I think we often underestimate what our our bodies are capable of um, and so for me running has also been a way of like pushing myself and and always trying to to do better and I think those skills and that mentality has definitely morphed into other areas of my life of pursuing professionally what I want to gain or um, even how I approach problems, you know, setting a goal and trying to figure out how to accomplish it. Um, so I think that's, that's something that I love about running and endurance sports like triathlon in general. Sure. Yeah. And just, I know myself personally, sports I've played, it, 
It really does give you kind of that extra confidence. And like you said, that you can kind of apply to other aspects of your life. It's, you know, there, there's so many benefits. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then talk to me a little more about uh, as far as the guides, just kind of the relationship between yourself and the, the human guide when you are running and just what is, you know, being discussed and <laughs> just uh, as far as the, the guidance, how that all works. Yeah, the relationship with, with, um, my guides, it's pretty cool. It's really neat. And that's again, going back to, I mean, most all of my guides I found through Achilles. So, um, I relate so much of, of the bond and friendships or I I owe it to Achilles in a lot of ways, I feel. (laughs) Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, there's two women in particular that I run with a lot here in New York. Um, it's cut cut back cut back some because of the pandemic, but um, just the it's again that like we're running and and it doesn't matter that uh, you know I have a disability and and they don't. It's it's that equalizer and that thing that brings us together and um you know, just I, the things we talk about us on long runs, gosh, it could be, it could be anything <laughs> from like, what are we craving and how hungry are we to like, what is life and where are we? You know, it's, it, um, it's certainly like the whole gamut of kind of conversational. Um, and uh, yeah, it's real, real authentic friendships. I certainly gained from running in the guides and, friends i've made because of running and and relying on a guide nice that's great to hear and i know achilles does fantastic work and like this is the first episode we've really spent time talking about them so i appreciate you mentioning them and you know big shout out to achilles international yeah absolutely i could probably gush about them for a whole episode (laughs) (laughs) definitely yeah i definitely want to talk you know do a full episode on them at some point um, in terms of your career, uh, I understand that you work at a, a company, is it called Learning Ally? Yeah, Learning Ally is where I work now, and um, I started working for them uh, in 2015 as a part-time mentor for the College Success Program. Um, they had launched it in the spring of 2015, um, but it's a virtual program um, aiming to increase providing supports and helping to see college students who are blind or low vision succeed in college and then eventually beyond. Um, So I started as a mentor and then uh, in 2016 I came on full-time and I still split my time between uh, now I coordinate the mentoring program. Uh, We have currently 24 mentors who are blind or low vision They've completed a minimum of college, and they mentor um, right around 100 students who are all pursuing a degree. Um, it doesn't have to be undergrad, but mo- the majority of our students are working towards an associate's or, or their, uh, their bachelor's. And then I also help with um, some of the audiobook production. So Learning Ally, um, our history is in, is in audiobooks. At this point, we we do a lot more than audiobooks, but it's um, it started by um, a group of women recording books out of the New York Public Library for veterans coming back from World War II. 
um, who were blinded in combat and couldn't hmm. access the GI Bill because they, uh, you know, could no longer read print. Um, so it was called the Recordings for the Blind, and then it changed the Recordings for the Blind and Dys- Dyslexic. And then for the last, um, I think, 2006 is when uh, the organization changed their name to Learning Ally. Um, since we do more than just the audiobooks now, we provide a lot of professional development for educators and um, we do continue to serve a great majority of students with other learning disabilities beyond dyslexia and blindness. Um, So yeah, that's what I do professionally. And um, as you mentioned, I'm working towards my master's in social work and that interest in social work really came out of working with our students and uh, coordinating this mentoring program so many of our students are not just blind or low vision they have additional disabilities they're english language learners uh they're they've immigrated to the u.s they we've had some students that are dealing with housing insecurity so uh, working with these students and and considering uh the systemic inequities and and challenges that students had um, was kind of my catalyst to go back to school and kind of shift my focus from what had been an undergrad with music and audio. And um, so that's what I'm, what I'm doing now. Yeah. Nice. Very interesting. And then just to wrap up here, I know that you also do uh, some advocacy work as far as uh, transportation. Talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah. Back in 2019, um, the former president of the MTA, his name was Andy Byford. He um, created the Advisory Committee on Transit Accessibility. Uh, we often just refer to it as ACTA. And um, there, it's a group of us, uh, 18 individuals from the five boroughs in New York City, um, all with some vested interest in transit accessibility. Um, so the majority of us have disabilities, um, but we also have folks that are orientation and mobility instructors, um, travel trainers, so people that work with individuals with intellectual or, or developmental disabilities and helping them learn how to navigate independently as well. Um, and we also have a member who is an advocate for parents and caregivers because as you can imagine somebody with a stroller or small children or caring for (laughs) another person trying to get on around a transit system um can often be challenging too so um yeah i i it was a i saw an ad for it i think on social media that they were putting together this um committee and i uh love i i have a a love-hate relationship with the transit system in new york city because it's one of the 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 largest and most extensive but um because it's so old and they've had to grandfather in so many things since the ada um it still has a long way to go in terms of being completely accessible for riders regardless of ability so um i joined the committee in 2019 and I serve as a co-chair with another woman, Jessica Murray. And um, yeah, it's been really rewarding work to connect with other, other people and working towards um, 
you know, this united focus of wanting to see better accessibility through the transit system. Exactly. Very cool. That's, that's great work. And I definitely applaud you on that. Just, uh, you know, trying to make a difference for all of us. So thank you for what you do with that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, again, we've been chatting with Abigail Shaw here on the Eyes Free Sports Podcast. And uh, Abigail, just want to thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time. Really enjoyed the conversation and certainly look forward to following, uh, especially your athletic uh, pursuits. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. And I am looking forward to the day when it's... Uh, we're in a different world and it's safe enough to to race with other people in person. So. Um, I will certainly let you know the next race I get to actually <laughs> sign up for. Absolutely. Very cool. Alrighty. Thanks again. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Be sure to follow the Eyes Free Sports podcast at facebook.com slash eyesfreesports and on Twitter at eyesfreesports.com.